Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. We got an email from uh, Carrie who said, uh, Kat and Jethro, we love the box of oddities. What podcasts do you listen to? Well, one of the ones we're most fond of is Scared to Death with Dan and Lindsay Cummins. We think you'll like it, too. If you're looking for something scary, mysterious, or interesting, something to distract and entertain you, Scared to Death is absolutely going to do it. Or as Lindsay calls it, STD. Wait a minute. They've got over 100 episodes, uh, Demonic Possession shadow people, black-eyed children, alien abductions. See, Dan loves the horror. Mm -hmm. And so he goes out of his way to try to scare Lindsay. And then Lindsay will retaliate by sharing at least uh, two listener-submitted encounters that are, in her mind, scarier than what Dan had. If you need more chills in your life, check out Dan Cummins and Lindsay Cummins. It's scared to death, and it's so much fun. And Dan and Lindsay are just really cool people. Yes, much cooler than us. Episodes drop every Tuesday, available anywhere that you listen to The Box of Oddities. You can also listen to Scared to Death or watch them on YouTube. Yeah. I've got a pretty cool story for you today. In 1863, a Union wagon train left Wheeling, West Virginia. It had 52 bars of gold in each uh, wagon, and there were many wagons. Each bar weighed about 50 pounds. What year? 1863. Thank you. Right at the beginning of the Civil War. Okay. Now, this gold was meant to pay Union soldiers, and the wagon train was supposed to travel northeast through Pennsylvania to Ridgeway, and then head southeast to Harrisburg. It made it as far as uh, St. Mary's, but that was the last time it was ever seen. Ooh, a mystery. Yeah, the wagons and dead soldiers were found, but not the gold. It just disappeared. It was never recovered. Nobody knows where it is. Is that the end of your story? The end. <laughs> See, you're better off listening to Dan and Lindsay. <laughs> no, there's more. Of course, there are treasure hunters all over the area that spend a great deal of time researching and searching for this lost gold because it's potentially worth 
Hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. There's a father and son team named Dennis and Kim Parada, and they have spent years researching the area and uh, going over old documents and reading old news stories and just good old-fashioned detective work. And in January of 2018, they were metal detecting in an area called Dents Run. That's D-E-N-T apostrophe S. Okay. Dents Run. Run. And you know I love me some metal detecting. I do. And suddenly their metal detectors go off. And for those of you who do metal detect, you detectorists, if you will, you know that sound. And you know that there's a big difference between the sound that your metal detector makes when when you find a coin versus, say, an old aluminum pop top. Mm. Uh, there's a big difference. And it's a, you get a little bit of a thrill when you know you've hit something solid. I can only imagine what they must have felt. Because this was not just a coin, and it certainly wasn't a pop top. They weren't sure what it was. The indications were this was a huge mass of metal. Oh. Now, Dennis and Kim had formed a treasure hunting group called Finders Keepers. <laughs> but they did what, they, what was required of them when treasure is found, potentially, on public land. They couldn't dig it up. They immediately contacted the FBI. And they met with them in Philadelphia and presented their evidence to okay. the FBI. FBI was very interested in this. I bet. And according to the Paradas, they took the FBI to the exact spot at Dent's Run where they believed that they had found tons of gold. This was on March 13th of 2018. So the FBI hired Enviroscan, which is a geophysical consulting firm, to come in. They didn't want to just start digging up. Right. They do that ground pulsation thing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I don't That's know if it's, so cool. if it's radar or what it is, but Enviroscan began a survey of that particular hilltop with uh, a gravimeter. I think that's how you pronounce it. Mm -hmm. Gravimeter or gravimeter? Gra gravimeter. I'm gravimeter going with that. Gravimeter sounds right. Gravimeter results came in um, and it, on the spot and indicated that there was indeed a very large chunk of metal buried in the hilltop. What was even more exciting was that this particular metal chunk had the exact same density that gold would have. Oh, really? Yeah. One of the people that was working alongside of the uh, Paradas and the FBI was a guy named Warren Gettler. Uh, he's written several books and articles concerned mainly with the legends of buried Civil War era gold. Okay, that's very specific. Yes. <laughs> and he was there when the gravimeter results came in, and he said that he asked an agent a point-blank question about the size of the metal mass that they had detected. The agent responded simply, quote, seven to nine tons. Now, seven to nine tons of gold is potentially worth, of course, hundreds of millions of dollars. It was right about this time that the whole demeanor of the FBI began to change. Oh? Now, according to the Paradas, they had made an agreement with Gettler and the FBI to oversee the excavation. But once the scans came in, the FBI made them go sit in their car. Well, the majority of the project was being completed. Interesting. Eventually, after several hours, the FBI allowed them to take a look at the site at the end of the day, once the digging was done. And what they saw was just a big empty hole in the ground. The FBI claimed, no, we didn't find anything. But the Paradas weren't buying it. Mm -hmm. Their suspicion increased when they learned that people who lived nearby had heard jackhammers and a backhoe during the dead of the night 
after the initial 2018 excavation was allegedly finished. Uh Uh-huh. Others reported seeing a very suspicious-looking convoy of black SUVs and four armored trucks in the area in the middle of the night. Many of the residents tried to get information from the FBI about the activities, but could not get a response. For three years, the FBI's official story of what they were doing there was that they were, quote, engaged in a court-authorized dig of a cultural heritage site. Oh, yeah. So they continued to maintain that they had found nothing there. Now, this past year, Kim and Dennis sued the FBI successfully and got access to uh, emails that involved the dig. They found one email that was marked confidential. I'm sorry, that's really ballsy to sue the FBI. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) An assistant U.S. attorney in Philadelphia wrote, quote, we believe the cache itself is in the neighborhood of, and cache is C-A-C-H-E, we believe the cache itself is in the neighborhood of three by five by eight feet to five by five by eight feet in size. Now, you, as I you me- mean the cache of nothing? Yeah, the cache of nothing. Interesting. Now, as I mentioned, this site was on state-owned land. So because of that, the FBI was legally required to get a federal court order to excavate the site. And of course, whenever you do something bureaucratic like that, uh, there's normally a paper trail. And that was the case between the assistant U.S. attorney and the head lawyer of the Pennsylvania Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. In an email from March 13th, which was the day the FBI first went to the hilltop with the Paradas, the head lawyer asked, quote, Can you please provide the basis upon which the Office of the United States Attorney asserts that the gold, if found, belongs to the federal government? The assistant attorney general said that he'd, quote, rather discuss this generally with you on the phone. Which is suspicious. Super suspicious. And then an email from March 16th of 2018, the assistant attorney did suggest that something had indeed been um, retrieved. Quote, we are all disappointed and scratching our heads over the several scientific test results, which falsely indicated there was metal mass to be found. I guess you can't come right out and state that there is no gold to be found at Dense Run. The answer came back. Unfortunately, we cannot. Mm-hmm. So the Paradas went to the Commonwealth Court. They wanted to get more information. Duh. Fair. But the judge denied the request. Interesting. He said this was because the case had been sealed. But in his reply, the judge's reply, he revealed the name of this top secret uh, case and the files. The files were named, quote, In the matter of seizure of one or more tons of United States gold. Interesting. That seems real suspicious. Yeah. It seems like it's leading us to believe that there might have been actually something found. The Paradas and Gettler held a press conference on March 10th of this year. Uh, Do you think the judge did that on purpose? That's a great question. I wonder. I wonder. The Paradas and Gettler believe there are 2,400 pages of evidence as well as video footage that the FBI that the FBI has that contains damning evidence of a cover up. Dennis Parada says, I gotta find out what happened to that gold. I don't blame you. According to the Philadelphia Inquirer, the FBI stated again that nothing was found at the excavation. Quote, the FBI equivocally rejects any claims or speculation to the contrary. That's according to a spokesman. Mm-hmm. 
The U.S. Attorney's Office in Philadelphia says they consider the case closed. Gettler said, quote, If you want to listen to the FBI and believe that nothing was found, that's your choice. But why would they bring four armored cars? And why would they bring in such extensive resources? I'm extremely suspicious of their secrecy. I would be extremely suspicious of files called about that gold that we found that we pretended we didn't find. Yeah, don't don't read this. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of ways you can look at this. It was state-owned land. So Pennsylvania could say, hey, that's ours. Right. The uh, fortune hunters who found it, they could say, hey, that's, that's ours. Right. The U.S. government just said, yeah, no, we're taking it. You know, well, maybe they did. I don't know. I mean, certainly seems like they may have. Well, it was originally meant for the Union soldiers. Yes. Did the Union soldiers get paid, just not with that gold? I don't know. Maybe we still owe them. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> that is sus at best. Sus at best. And and why haven't I heard of this before? It's I fairly think that's very strange as well. Yeah, there's. I, I was not able to find any more recent news. Any more recent news on this mm. uh, since the uh, March 10th press conference? There's been nothing said about it. I also think that's suspicious. That's sus as well. <laughs> The uh, theory, the conspiracy theory is that the government, obviously, they want the money. Right. Okay. And it's much easier to just take it under the cloak of night rather than fight it out with the state of Pennsylvania and these treasure hunter dudes. Mm -hmm. Because both of them have some sort of a, a claim to it. I would I agree. Would, I would think. I'm just really glad I didn't bother to report my metal detecting fines to the government. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That we have a, a drawer and within it, some of your findings. Yeah. Broken uh, watch band. Uh, yeah. I did find a nickel yeah. from like the 1880s. That was um, pretty neat. Yeah. And, and then, of course, the box of dildos. But I didn't save those. And now, that thing in the middle. Did you know that nuclear bombs have made it much easier to detect fake art? Hang on. Let me explain. Nuclear explosions release two specific types of isotopes. These isotopes did not exist prior to their release in nuclear explosions, the earliest which took place in 1945. If a piece of artwork contains these elements, but purports to be older than 1945, it's a forgery. While you've been sleeping, we've been slowly training your dog to ignore you in a few weeks. And you'll think it was something you did wrong. Just wanted to give you a heads up. This is The Box of Oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames, and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, 
it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com oddities. That's greenlight.com oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com oddities. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. In a recent episode, you were talking about units of measurement. Yeah. Yeah, we got a message from Andrew. Hey, Kat and Jethro, listening to the last episode that you guys posted, and I had a fun story for you. So I was a bit younger and a bit inebriated. I love stories that start this way. (laughs) 
And with that said, my friend and I decided to go to Jack in the Box to get some tacos because, you know, why not? When we pulled up to the drive through speaker, this young feller with a very monotone and flat voice said, Welcome to Jack in the Box. What can I get for you? Truly, you could tell by the sound of his voice that he was not at all happy to be at work that day. But I replied and asked him, Yeah, we need a fuck ton of tacos. And without, and without missing a beat, the young man sighs and replies with a very sad and uninspired attitude. And how many tacos are in a fuck ton, sir? <laughs> we determined, by the way, that a fuck ton of tacos equal, equals exactly 60, 60 tacos. Love the show. Love you guys. Be safe out there. Thank you, Andrew. Wow. So we have learned today that a fuck ton of tacos is 60. Now I want tacos. <laughs> well, let's finish up and I'll make us some tacos. How many, though? A fuck ton. <laughs> what you got for me? So Finland had been to war with the Soviet Union since 1939 in what was known as the Winter War. And they were forced to sign a peace treaty that handed over like 10% of Finnish territory to the Soviet Union. But about a year later, Finland unofficially allied with Nazi Germany and started working to take back their lost regions. It's kind of understood that they weren't interested in being allies with Nazi Germany. They just wanted their land back. They want their shit back. Right. Finland, Finland, Finland. The country where I'd quite like to be. Now, Finland ended up fighting alongside the allies against Nazi Germany. Mm -hmm. But for a bit, they they utilized their partnership with Nazi Germany to try to get their land back. So Emil Koivinen was on ski patrol south of the Russian port city of Murmansk in 1944. The unit had been on the move almost nonstop for more than two days. They were skiing in knee-deep snow. It was about five degrees Fahrenheit during the daytime. It's March 18th, and the unit, they're in the forest. They had set up camp to take a break. They were going to make some tea, try to get some shut-eye, even if just for a little bit. But they didn't even have a chance to get water boiling before a full platoon of well-rested, well-armed Russian soldiers started firing at the camp. Well, that sucks. It does. The Finnish soldiers were outnumbered, and they decided that the only option was to retreat. So Amo, who was... 27 at the time, is at the head of the unit, and he's trying to open up a ski track in the deep snow. Now, things aren't great for him right now because he had only had a piece of bread early in the day, and he'd not slept properly in days. So he's skiing for hours, opening oh, up man. this track, trying wow. to escape the Russians. I can't stand it when I have to get up in the morning and scrape off my windshield in the winter. I know. I can't imagine what this guy was going through. He was feeling weak, he was getting shaky, and he started to drift. But he knew that he didn't have the option to stop. The people behind him were concerned that he was starting to slow down, and so they were yelling at him that he needed to move faster. Amo, don't fall asleep, one of his friends yelled at him. So during this time, many militaries across the globe had among their supplies something that would help in situations like this. Was it speed? Yes. Was it? No shit. Like amphetamines or something? Wow. 
It was called Pervidin, and it helped the soldiers stay awake for long periods of time during, like, guard duty, long patrols, during tasks, so on and so forth. It also made them more aggressive in combat scenarios because it was basically crystal meth in the form of a small white pill. Oh, my God. So he was tasked, in addition to opening up the ski trail, with carrying the unit's supply of pervitin. The pill bottle was in his front pocket of his jacket. Now, he didn't love taking these pills, but he was running out of steam and he knew he needed to keep going. The safe dosage of pervitin was one pill per day. So he got the pill bottle out of his jacket. He tried to extract one pill from the container, but he had heavy winter gear on and that made it impossible. So he accidentally poured the whole thing out into his palm. So he's frustrated and he's in a panic and he's possibly a little delirious. So he just put the platoon supply no. of methamphetamines in his mouth. No, he did not. He's about 30. Oh my God. Yes. Did he set a new cross country ski record? Well, his energy was soon boosted. I'll bet. He was leading the troop and breaking the snow for the rest of them. And he helped the whole pack to move at a faster pace. He was doing really great, but he soon began to notice that his vision was distorted and he was losing consciousness. <laughs> he was still skiing, no, but he was losing track of time and losing track of what exactly he was doing. As noted in iflscience.com, you can't just take an overdose that massive and expect the only side effect to be really good at skiing. <laughs> yeah. His troop noticed that something was going on. He didn't look well at all. They had lost the Russians. They and he just kept skiing. They, well, no, they, they settled down for a moment. They got him oh, okay. uh, settled and, uh, and took away his ammunition, <laughs> which I think was probably... It's a very wise strategic move. A great plan. He thought for a moment, I may have made a mistake here. And then he lost consciousness. Amo remembered waking up. It was morning, and he had somehow been separated from his patrol, and he had no supplies. He didn't have any idea where he was, how he got there, how much time had passed. He didn't know if he had drifted away from his troop or if the troop had decided that it was best <laughs> to leave him behind. Maybe they just thought he was dead. Jesus, he ate 30 of those meth pills. He got up, and he began to ski on through the forest himself. He didn't have any food, but he was pretty okay with that at the point because he was tripping balls on speed. Mm -hmm. He was talking to his friend about the forest, enjoying a cup of tea. Was was his friend real? No. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm really anticipating a lot of this, yeah, aren't I? Yeah, you're doing well. I'm sorry. Um, but then he noticed that he was actually alone in the forest and there was no tea. He was being attacked by a wolverine at one point, and then he regained consciousness and he was stabbing a tree. During that encounter with the wolverine tree, uh, he broke his compass. So that wasn't great. Mm. And he also lost his backpack. So it's not a good time for Amo. Amo wound up on the top of a hill and he spotted a fire burning in the distance with some men sitting around it. So he thought it must be Germans and they would help him. So freezing and starving, he skied as fast as he could to them. He's rapidly approaching them, getting nearer and nearer, and he realizes these are not Germans. They are, in fact, Russians. 
Oh, no. And that's not great for him. It's a very bad day for Amo. It's a bad day for Amo. Moving at this speed, he just decides, all right, well, I'm going to go with it. And he just powers through. He hauls ass through the camp. And because the Russians don't know that he's coming, first of all, they're pretty shocked by the fact that this Finnish guy is just skiing through their camp. <laughs> they're not ready to ski no. or chase him or anything. So they he hauls ass. And so they start shooting at him, but they don't really have the foresight to think we have to be ready to fight this rando who's high on speed. Mm-hmm. So he, uh, still under the influence, manages to escape the Russian troops once again who are pursuing him. He has no idea how long he's been out on his own, but at some point he did find an abandoned cabin. He got inside. He found a pile of wood, so he started a fire. And this is a real cabin. This is a real cabin. Okay. And it's a real pile of wood. It is a real pile of wood. Okay. But he starts the fire in the middle of the cabin. <laughs> so the cabin, by the way, is made of wood. Mm. And uh, eventually, the floor of the cabin lights on fire as there is fire on it. But he's fallen asleep next to the nice warm fire. I'm sure he's exhausted at this point. So uh, as the cabin lights on fire, (laughs) he just keeps kind of scooching away from it as it as the fire gets bigger, he scooches a little further and goes back to sleep. And then the fire gets bigger no. and he scooches a little away from the fire. I'm sorry. This isn't funny, but it's just I'm I'm picturing it animated and it's hilarious. It's much funnier in cartoon form. Mm. I think we all can agree on this. Well, soon the whole cabin's on fire. And Amos trying to sleep, but fire is stopping him. So he just... <laughs> goes out of the cabin and it burns down and that's that for the cabin. So he's on his way again. He, he was able to save his skis. Oh, yes. Yeah, okay, yeah. good. Because those are wood too. That's true. That's a good point. Well, he found a German outpost after some more wandering. Again, he doesn't know how long he's been out. He doesn't know what the difference in time was between the cabin and the German outpost. But almost immediately upon finding the outpost, uh, he set off a landmine. So you know how (laughs) when Germans would abandon their posts, they they would set up landmines. And that's, you know for exactly this purpose, I imagine. Mm -hmm. And so he uh, discovers that his foot flesh is pretty much gone on one of his feet and the bones exposed, and it's not great. But he's still wicked high. So he hopped about and he found a dugout. He opened the door to the dugout, but the door to the dugout was rigged as well. So that exploded. And he regained consciousness about 30 meters, almost 100 feet from the dugout. So he's pretty injured at this point. He tears off the front of his shirt and uses it as a tourniquet to stop his foot from bleeding. And he just kind of hangs out in a ditch for a little while. Wow, this... This truly is Emil's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. (laughs) So he's laying there in this ditch and he sees 
suddenly a group of Finnish soldiers. And he's like, oh, my gosh, yes, rescue time. This is great. Real Finnish soldiers? Well, they said their captain had been injured, so they were going to go and get him fixed up, but they would send a rescue party back for him. And Amo's like, no, don't do that. Don't leave me, please. I have a foot issue, and also I'm just tripping balls. (laughs) So they took off. And he's very concerned at this point. He hasn't eaten in a while, but again, he doesn't know how long. Um, He found a few plants that he could gnaw on, and then a Siberian jay lands near him. A Siberian jay? Yeah, a bird. A bird. A bird. Okay. And so he was real stealthy about it, but he whacked the bird with his ski pole and then just ate it, just ate the bird raw. Uh, he took the feathers out, but he he ate this raw bird. It was a it was a real bird, though. It was a real bird. It wasn't gnawing on a shrub. No, it was a real bird. Okay, which is too bad. But it, he got some sustenance, which sure, was important, sure. and he was starving. So after a while, he was sure that he had hallucinated the Finnish soldiers as well. A few days went by, and he didn't know how many, but he did know that the sun had come up and gone down several times, and. Ha-ha, the Finns came back. No. Yes, they were real, and they did promise that they would send a rescue crew for him, and they did that. So there's this guy who's been out in the woods for who knows how long, exposed to the elements, eating raw birds, getting blown up, and the Finnish troops take him to a nearby hospital where he was found to still be very affected by these drugs. My God. His heart rate was measured at 200 beats per minute. What? No, that's like a hummingbird. And he weighed 94 pounds. Do we know how much he weighed before he started? Uh, we don't know mm, that. But that he would was, be really interesting. Yeah, I would be interested to know that. But we do know that he had been out on his own for two weeks. Wow. Amos spent some time in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. But he did make a full recovery. And he didn't have heart damage. He Well, no. That's amazing. He lived until 1989 and died at the age of 72. Well, there you go. Now, wow. I want <laughs> I want to stress that I don't think that drug abuse is funny. We're just laughing at the cartoon version in our head. This is such a bizarre story of a man who was already at his wit's end and was in an incredibly stressful situation and then just went through this amazing two-week bizarro, <laughs> trippy forest situation. This would make a great movie. I would agree. Somebody needs to make this guy's movie. I would absolutely watch it. That is amazing. What a story. How'd you find that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Elaine suggested this topic on the Freaks of Box of Oddities podcast group on Facebook. Hey, thanks, Elaine. That was a good one. Also, tickets for The Looped Show. You can get them now. Go to our website, The Box of Oddities. Uh, the show's going to be the 27th of June, so a couple of weeks away. And we, uh, we look forward to hanging out with you again. I found a real fun story for you, by the way. I'm real excited about it. I oh, can't... I'm sorry. I, I ruined it, didn't I? You set me up and I ruined it. That's right. I'm sorry. It's, it's fine. It's fine. So anyway, Kat's going to say her thing. Keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. (laughs) And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. 
Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. history but hate when it's stuffy and boring well look no further and join me katie charlwood your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as i delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by gaslight and of course women who have been misrepresented through all time on who did what now the history podcast that's not your history class listen wherever you get your podcasts hello everyone stakuyi here and i'm gabby And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.